Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to another episode, another summer edition of the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm here with Mike, as as always, uh, and also Dave King, the managing editor, overlord, fearless leader, something of those ways to describe a guy. Uh, do do uh, people leader, fear you? Right side of the Yes. Oh, unfortunately, don't. Does anybody fear a blogger? Oh, yeah. I know people were very scared of me when I ran my very big muscles and my very strong kind of disposition. Yeah, people scared of me. I don't know about you. <laughs> I was so intimidated when I first met Mike. I can't lie. You ever see this guy? He's a hulking individual. But uh, anyhow, that's a bright side of the sun. That is the, uh, that's the SB Nation uh, NBA site for the Phoenix Suns that, uh, that Dave is the, the leader of. So we're really pumped to have him on here as we preview and, and kind of talk about a little retrospective of the, the Suns' summer so far and where they're going into this season. We'll also obviously touch on Amari uh, retiring. How could we not? Uh, one of the Phoenix Suns' finest players, um, especially of this current generation or, or just, uh, just past. And uh, and uh, also want to say, uh, please, rate review subscribe all those things limited upside podcast to get this out of the way now early on in the podcast so hopefully we see a few of these but uh, just check it out please send us those reviews rate review it. we always appreciate that soundcloud itunes and stitcher available at all, all of those places and up on sb nation's uh nba website sb nation uh nba of course as always mike is the nba editor of so it's a trash website <laughs> <laughs> with uh with that being said let's start with uh let's start with the new leader of the suns earl watson uh what that means for the suns kind of moving forward into the new earl watson era dave what are your impressions of that so far you know uh we haven't seen a ton of uh really sophisticated x's and o's earl just uh, was a total rookie last year and all he was tasked to do was get the guys to stop complaining and bickering and fighting and, and just play the game. And uh, he did an excellent job of that, actually. He uh, took a really, really bad situation and made it pretty positive to the point where at the end of the worst season since the inaugural season 48 years ago for the franchise, mm. 23 wins, uh, all the players to a man said, A, they want to come back next year, and B, they want Earl Watson to be their coach. So I think that's pretty good. So he's, yeah. he can check off the list of the players want to play for him. What he hasn't yet checked off, and we have no idea if he ever will, is how good of an in-game coach he is, how good he is at making adjustments. He does know how to make guys feel good. He knows how to empower them, and he makes them know. He knows how to make them uh, in, um, uh, play the role that he wants them to play, uh, mm-hmm. which is actually not that easy with today's NBA players or any NBA players of, of any generation, but certainly today as well. Sure. I, I was impressed by how quickly I know he's not on the team anymore. Uh, I think about him because I'm a Wizards fan, but Markeith Morris seemed to like him right away, and it was almost like a light got switched as soon as that signing happened or that that change happened, and he started to play hard. Yeah, that was a that was a really interesting situation. Um, the way I take it as a as a Sun side uh, kind of guy from what I've heard uh, um, on the record and off the record is basically that they all mutually agreed that Markeith really had to play uh, uh, better to get himself traded if he wanted to be traded. There was never any understanding that Markeith was going to actually uh, stay on the team for long term. So Earl finally touched the right nerve and said, hey, look, we got two weeks left, man. 
you got to play your butt off. I'll make you the leader. I'll call you everything, you know, every positive thing I can possibly call you. I'm going to give you all the minutes, and I want you to go out there and prove yourself as a tradable asset. <clears throat> but it was always under the understanding that he was going to be traded within two weeks. Uh, so, and but having said that, Earl was able to pull that out of him and make him play the best basketball he's pl- he'd played in a year and a half. So, uh, kudos to him. Yeah, I mean that was the way I took it. I I had heard I've sort of got the sense that that the Suns were sort of holding out on Morris for a while. And like, and that's why that took for for offers. And that's why it took some time. But I just thought it was an interesting window into how players respect him. And he's I mean, he was a player himself. What like two years ago, a year yeah, ago? I mean, just, he, he's, just two years. Yeah, it's been yeah. a meteoric rise for him. Are, are you a little surprised that the Suns didn't go for, even though the players endorsed him, they didn't go for a more experienced coach? Look, we were all totally surprised. I think within a week or two of the Suns just going ahead and hiring him. Uh, I think Dave Yeager was available. I think Frank Vogel was available. All this, the Suns really should have gone through an actual interview process. <laughs> but I, I, and I don't know to this day why they didn't even try that. Um, but Earl Watson is a pretty convincing guy. I mean, if you sit there and you actually have a one-on-one with him, by the end of the one-on-one, you're nodding. Uh, you're just going along with what he's saying. He's very convincing. He's very good. and seems very genuine. He's not a salesman type. Uh, he definitely seems very genuine, and so uh, uh, maybe he'll turn out awesome. Maybe he'll turn out great, but the Suns also kind of knew that next year uh, they were not going to be a great team. Uh, they really weren't set up to be a great team, so why not have a guy that players at least wanted to play for uh, while you're losing a bunch of games? Yeah, I also think it's interesting, too, that Earl Watson has the probably that pedigree that gets you a little extra credit right out of the league. When, when you're a journeyman backup point guard you just you see so many different offenses and coaching styles and you kind of absorb that at least that seems to be what happens with from uh, like uh, Scott Skiles and uh, Tyron Lou and Avery Johnson Avery Johnson you know, we could really probably go down a full long list Scott Brooks. Stop. Yeah. Scott Brooks, Scott Brooks. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean Billy Donovan who you know was a point guard himself but anyhow there's the whole idea of that proximity to coach and that transition being a lot smoother so maybe that's a little bit of the mindset of being able to give him the keys a little earlier than you may have potentially have done so. I mean, Jason Kidd, another guy. But anyhow, we you, you see these examples more and more. So he's not like he's a trailblazer in the just-out-of-the-league sense. But I do see what you're saying in terms of when you have a team whose average age, they got to be in one of the youngest teams in the league, even with a Tyson Chandler. and I think they, they are the youngest. Are they? Yeah, and they have Barbosa well, and they, Chandler. Well, right? now that they hired Bar- – uh, excuse me, hired. <laughs> um, on my real life there. Um, now that- <laughs> Barbosa and Dudley to add to Tyson Chandler. Yeah. They're actually still only uh, like fifth or sixth youngest in the league, but okay. um, eight guys are 23 and under. <laughs> and, you know, that's what makes those two signings sort of uh, useful. It, it, let's see, the Suns are the fifth youngest, according to Real GM, uh, 20, behind Milwaukee, Philly, uh, Toronto. Wow, Toronto is young, and Portland. Uh, so that's what makes those two signings significant. I mean, Dudley was with the Wizards last year, and he sort of was a. He's always been sort of a vocal guy. He's always someone a good good locker room player. I think there was a little bit of a sense that he was kind of taking the mantle a little more than he should have. But in general, you know, obviously going back to Phoenix where he's had a lot of success, you know, the only reason I would say that Barbosa is still in the league is that he's such a great locker room guy. What are those? Those are the two, I think, big free agent signings they made. I, there may be something I'm missing. Yeah, no, that's it. That's and it. you could talk about the, the, the draftees as well with Marquise Chris and, and, and uh, Dragon Bender as sure. well. Kind of the acquisition. 
acquisitions. But what, what are your yeah. thoughts on those guys so far? Yeah, so uh, that was interesting. So the way the summer was going to be defined by the draft. And coming into the draft, the Suns had the fourth pick, obviously. And then they really just had their their standard 13th pick. I mean, it, could, it would have been the sixth year out of seven that they had either 13th or 14th pick, thanks to the Wizards and, and Markeith Morris, as well as that number four. And then the 28th and all that. The the next season was going to be defined by the draft. If they ended up just getting a Dragon Bender and then maybe a couple of older guys in the in later in the first round, they might have actually uh, tried to go for the playoffs this year and made some big signings in in free agency whenever they could. And there was money flowing, and the Suns had the money. Uh, but once they were able to do the double uh, move for the power forward of the future to get Bender and Chris, uh, you have to assume one of those guys is going to turn out to be above average NBA player. And if he isn't, we won't know for three years anyway. So once they got that, uh, then all of a sudden it became a year of rebuilding and the only free agent targets became guys who would come in and either A, love the city or B, be a good leader in the locker room. And they ended up getting both. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that's going to help. I, I'm kind of curious how this Bender Chris thing works out. I think when you look at the value they gave up to get Chris, I think they gave up not that much to get there. They basically lost uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who I think struggled a little bit relatively in Europe. So they didn't give up very much. Uh, both those guys are extremely raw and young. I believe Bender is the youngest prospect in the draft. I think yep. mm-hmm. that's was. third year out of four. The Suns have signed uh, uh, drafted the youngest guy in the draft, and they have a good track record with spotting talent. I mean. Obviously, Booker was great last year. Uh, we'll see what T.J. Warren and Alex Len. But you see what you were looking at when you drafted those guys. Uh, the only thing I worry a little bit about, uh, first of all, I guess there's Summer League. I didn't really notice. I don't think either really jumped off the page in Summer League. And the one thing I worry a little bit about is they're now competing with each other. And on the one hand, competition breeds a situation where maybe the best player will just rise to the top and they'll push each other. But I also just wonder if they'll kind of cancel each other out in terms of development, attention, and minutes, and all of that. I, you know, I, well, here's, this, is, this is what I think, though. Um, having watched them and, and knowing what their strengths are, I actually think if the Suns are going to use the guys on this team to become a playoff team again, those two are going to play on the court together. And let me, let me say why. Marquise Chris is more of a traditional, a Maris, not traditional, but new age uh, Marius Dottemeyer type power forward where uh, he's already got the jump shot. He can already stretch out to three, which is something Amari couldn't do. But he's also going to be a nice role man, traditional power on the power forward side and extremely athletic and very bouncy, whereas Draken Bender is much more of a floor game kind of guy. Even though he's already 7'1", he's got a 7'4 wingspan or so. He's going to be a more of a below-the-rim guy who can pass, who can facilitate, who can defend, kind of like a taller Andre Kirilenko. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those guys actually will be able to play on the floor together um, as, they, as they develop. I, I actually see Bender being, uh, in some cases, uh, uh, leading the pick-and-roll with Chris as the roller. Uh, so, no, I don't, I don't see those guys canceling each other out. Now, it's, if they don't develop, they don't build up their skills, their unique skills that are very different from each other, then, yeah, they'll eventually cancel themselves out because they can't get on the floor. Uh, but it won't be because they play the same position. Uh, Chris could be a small ball five. Bender could be a big ball uh, three. And uh, I think those guys can play together. 
So you're saying as four and five, most likely. Or three and four, depending if you really want to go big. But I don't think they're going to long-term go big right. uh, with all three, you know, them and maybe Alex Lynn or Tyson Chandler in there. That's not really a long-term lineup. But um, I can definitely see uh, um, Bender being uh, playing three for 10, 15, 20 minutes a game or Chris playing five, 10, 15, 20 minutes a game. You know, I, I see a lot of that. A very similar argument when we were talking about the Sixers with Saric and and Simmons, you know, right. uh, you know where that's it makes sense when you can think in your head as one as being the distributor and the other as you know potentially the the finisher or the way you look at just spreading the court wise. I think you're right. I think guys with actual skill sets who aren't just the same size but actually have very different abilities can coexist. So I I kind of see what you're saying there, Dave. I, I like I'm justifying that the same way with the Sixers lineup with all of our kind of redundant sized pieces. But I think the Suns but they all actual... have different skills, right? Exactly. exactly. If the Sixers can if get two or three of those guys on the floor at the same time. Why couldn't the Suns play both? They could. Yeah, they just seem. I don't know. They looked really far away in summer league, which is to be expected. Oh, yeah. Sure, they're, they're sure. very. It's hard for me to conceive exactly what they are, and just especially with Chris. Like I just have yeah, they're no children, idea. man. These guys are I've, kids. I have no up. idea what they're gonna. He's gonna turn into. I, I just. It's really hard for me to see exactly. That's not a bad thing. It's just sort of like a real blank slate. Like how much? Well, but here's something play? else. Here's something else, though, Mike. Uh, really, when you say blank slate, that's absolutely true of Marquise Chris. You have no clue what he's going to turn out to be, but you do see the skills that he's already got. I mean, he. He can shoot a jumper. He can make a three. He can dunk it ferociously. He can he can uh, do weak side um, defense. But the other thing he's got is lateral movement. The guy can actually defend while he's out there, and uh, not many 18, 19-year-olds can, can show that kind of thing. And with Bender, Bender is not necessarily a clean slate. Bender is actually uh, showing he knows where to be on the floor at all, all times. He just likes to be a facilitator. He's not going to be a guy who collects all the stats in the world. Um, he's he he patterns himself after a Tony Kukoc, who was never your stat leader on your team, but was one of the guys you couldn't live without. And so Bender actually is not as clean a slate as he might look like. He just looked like he didn't had never played the American game of basketball before, which was absolutely true. How much do you think they're going to play this year? Uh, well, see, that's where I'm really glad they didn't. Uh, we could we're going to talk about Amari Stoudemire in a little bit, but I'm really glad they didn't sign Amari Stoudemire. Because uh, I want those guys playing with Dudley in a rotation and TJ Warren in a rotation all year and mm-hmm. 20 minutes apiece. So, okay, speaking of that rotation, I think that the where, you know, where I was going to say the Sixers have lots of really big guys that are vying for a position. I think the actual part of the Suns roster where there is a lot of depth is the guards. Right now, they're carrying, and we'll say TJ Warren is your small forward. I think that's pretty much he's the one position depth player there. But then you have Tucker, too. And Tucker, sure. Okay, but I'm saying you have Euless and Brandon Knight and Archie Goodwin and Jared Dudley's going to be a small forward, too, as well, I suppose. But then Devin Booker and Bledsoe and Barbosa, that's that's a lot of guys. And there's young guys yeah. there that, that need to it's play. too many guys. Right. Way too many. I mean, it's it's it feels like all of them feel like of some type of quality where I want to see them play and see what they have. Archie Goodwin showed signs last year where he could be a really good player. We know the Brandon Knight and Bledsoe situation is going to be one of the most interesting. Dave, what do you think that's going to start out like this season? Yeah, I don't I don't even know. I think when they get into preseason, they're going to see that there's way too many guys, and, and Watson's going to be telling us game to game in preseason that, okay, tonight I'm going to play you know some of the guys more than others, and don't get... Mm-hmm frustrated if, if one guy doesn't get off the bench because I'll give him 35 minutes tomorrow. 
Um, there's too many guys to have in a rotation. So, and, and you didn't even mention John Jenkins, uh, yeah, that's who right. picked oh, yeah. up well. spring, who is a player. I mean, he's yeah. not a great NBA player, but he's a player. And yeah. in, a, in a rotation that needs a guy who can shoot and uh, create a shot, he's, he's a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Archie Goodwin, three years in, he was the first of the uh, youngest guys in the draft to be drafted by the Suns in, in 2013. Uh, he just has not developed. I, I really hope he gets a chance on another team. I'd love to see him on the Sixers, by the way, but that's a different conversation. I yeah. feel like we could be good trade partners. We should have our yeah. people talk. Yeah, except I don't want to little local <laughs> I know. Dang. Man, we, we this is a Suns podcast, and we've already had, <laughs> what, like six Sixers references? <laughs> you like, see who like, our host until we is. Get out, until we get out of the bottom part of the NBA right now, these similarities are going to keep coming up, man. Okay? When we're on so. to, like, the, the Warriors and such and, uh, you know, the, uh, the top end, it's not going to be like, hey, that reminds me a lot of these 19-year-olds I don't know anything about yet. Yeah. All right. A couple questions that we want to thank our, uh, our Brightside community for sending in some questions that we can get to. That This is a good segue. Uh, this one, just VL Suns fan asks, are we – are we looking at Bledsoe, Knight, and Booker all starting together, or is is one of them going to come off the bench? I mean, I guess it's sort of the the question we get from another other people that sort of goes into this is: Is Booker going to be a three at times this year? All right. So Earl Watson has already said that Booker can be a three in some lineups, but um, as a Suns fan who has been following this team for years, everybody hates the idea of shoving a shooting guard into a small forward role, especially one that everyone loves because they know he's going to be pissed off within three months and want to get traded. Uh, so I don't want to put Booker in that position. However, uh, <laughs> Booker uh, definitely could play the three for small stretches, but uh, he's really not your ideal three. He's perfectly sized as two guard and should stay there. Uh, I really think Brandon Knight needs to accept a six-man role off the bench, and he's already been quoted recently as saying he's willing to do whatever it takes next year. I completely or, agree, I also, by the way. Completely yeah, agree. I also think he uh, could be traded to a team that will start him. But if he doesn't get traded to a team that will start him, he's never really been a, he's never been a bad guy. He's never been a guy who's, who's caused waves. And I think he'd be fine as the sixth man. And, and no, I don't see Devin Booker starting at small forward. Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, just looking at the way Booker handled the ball and kind of led the team in the two summer league games, you saw it at the end of the year. There's too much, I think, playmaking potential with him to relegate him to sort of standing yes. alongside while Knight and Absolutely. Bledsoe handle the ball. Catch and shoot. Yeah, exactly. And also athletically, Mike, like the athletic advantage of a Bledsoe Booker backcourt, that's a, that's a big physical, good rebounding backcourt of two young guys whereas if you can bring Knight off the bench because he does have more of an offensive minded point guard mind as well he can come in and kind of be your fill it up guy and facilitate guy and definitely make a a significantly stronger second unit and mix in with those guys in you know in spurts where Booker plays three but not as a lineup right exactly yeah I I am not the biggest fan of Knight's game I I think not many people are yeah, I mean, I think there's potentially something. You know, Tom, our Tom Ziller is a big fan, so there are some <laughs> fans. I To me, I, I just see a guy who works really hard and it just does not have the court vision or the timing or the control to just – it's like sort of like he just doesn't have it. And as hard as he – like, He was one of the smartest guys in uh, – actually, book smart. Like he was yeah. a high school valedictorian type. Uh, he's not an innate basketball player. Yeah, so I just worry. I think it's hard, even though if someone says he accepts a backup role, 
I, I think it's hard still to sort of transfer someone to that. I, I think it is the right thing on paper, and it would make the most sense. We'll see if he does it. So with that in mind, this is from A Common Creeper. Why Why am I having trouble <laughs> reading these, these names? A Common Creeper. Uh, what should it be a priority to, to try to trade Brandon Knight? Uh, you know, if Brandon Knight was not going to be uh, a good soldier, then, yeah, I think it should be a priority because Devin Booker should get 35 minutes a game next year. I really, really think Devin Booker needs 30, 35 minutes a game. And if he's playing any less, then the Suns are not doing as well as they should with him. Um, so, yeah, Brandon Knight, if if he wants more than 25 minutes a game, then definitely the Suns should look to trade him. But you don't trade him for nothing. The kid's got really good value. He's only 24 years old, just turned 24 a couple months ago. And he's already an 18-5, and 18-6 player. So uh, he, the Suns should wait until there's good trade value. But you don't hold on to him like you held on to Morris if he's not happy. So um, I think the Suns really need to change their stripes a little bit and be really responsive to Devin Booker's um, uh, willingness to do what the team needs him to do. I mean, not Devin Booker, but Brandon Knight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like right now that's a, he has the right personality to, to fill the part. I, I would keep these players. I think, especially with Bledsoe's injury history, right. it seems it seems like you have to kind of hedge that a little bit. And Knight's a good hedge. He plays a similar offensive minded, you know, point guard position, if you will. So they can still play the same style with those guys. Um, yeah, there's would, a big difference, wait. though. You know, I think uh, for sure, for sure, with Eric Bledsoe, he is as much of a defensive terror as he is an offensive guy. Agreed. And with uh, Brandon Knight and Devin Booker, that's not a really good pairing because Booker's not a great defender. Uh, mm. So I really wouldn't uh, want this if, if Bledsoe went down, Knight to be the permanent starter or point guard. I really think he's a he's a two guard combo guard off the bench, and uh, you find somebody else to play point guard if Bledsoe doesn't. Yep, maybe Ulis per se. Yeah, well, I love Ulis. I love Tyler Ulis. I think he's great. I think he's really good too. He was great. I, you, know, you mentioned Bledsoe. I, it's funny how much of a forgotten player he is. I think a lot of it is because of those knee injuries. I mean, he has no menisci, right? I mean, what is his meniscus? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's really scary. But I, I was looking at this today, and your, one of your guys, had a, Owen Sanborn, had a really good piece on this. Sort of, as a, I remember this now. It, it sort of escaped my memory, but there was Eric Bledsoe all-star talk last year before he got hurt. I mean, he was having a great year, great even though year. the team was really floundering. You know, how much? I mean, how much do you think that they need to account for his injury history and his injury status? And how much? How much do you think that the Suns can really rely on him staying healthy and being sort of the point guard leader next year? Well, I think um, as. as- as was mentioned a couple of minutes ago, having Brandon Knight on the bench is a nice filler. I mean, you don't design a team around Brandon Knight starting next to Devin Booker. They're just not a, a great defensive pairing. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, that's if you don't believe Eric Bledsoe can stay healthy long-term, that's why you have a Brandon Knight coming off the bench. That's why you wanted a Goran Dragic coming off or you know, um, uh, uh, taking a tertiary role while Isaiah Thomas was dominating the ball. Um, I think uh, that's why you signed Isaiah Thomas in the first place. So I don't think the Suns are 100% confident in Bledsoe's long-term health, and, and that's why they keep doing these kinds of things with, with backup options. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust it either. But, man, if that kid could stay healthy for two years in a row, I think he would be in the All-Star game. Definitely. He, he is the prototype of what you want right now. <clears throat> 
<clears throat> sorry, in your in your point guard. He for for what you mentioned as a defensive player, but the ability to just get your own rebound and go up the court and he he attacks the rim um, as viciously on both ends as any guard in the league. That's a huge advantage in being able to find those seams and create those easy opportunities, especially for open, incredible shooters like a Devin Booker. That compliment's just fantastic. But I'll say this, man. Uh, when you have a guard who does play that aggressively and physically, those collisions do get amplified. They happen more often. And, and I think with Bledsoe, it's, it's a weird mix of like he needs to play into that contact, but his body somehow keeps rejecting it. I, I had him on my fantasy basketball team last year in my very important, very old league, and he was, I can tell you, when he got hurt, like eighth overall. And all we yeah. do is buy hard stats of like rebounds, points, assists, Etc. So he was definitely functioning at a high level, I and mean, you can see. Well, what was really what was really disappointing is mm. actually Bledsoe had spent the last couple of years on his back constantly, right? Getting mm-hmm. driving in, bouncing off guys, landing on his back, kind of like Dwayne Wade early in his career. And we were all worried about that, of course, because of his knee issues. Um, this past year, he was landing on his feet. He went. He he made a conscious effort not to be on his back all the time, and and yep. really, but. He still landed weird just running through a screen on defense. And that's what top popped his meniscus again. So uh, that's that's what that's a real bummer because he was having a nice year and he was controlling himself and he had his head up when he was driving into the basket and he was making so much progress. And then mm. all it takes is one bad landing and boom, he's gone again. And that's what makes it so scary to count on a guy like that. Yeah, I, I thought I agree. His craft was, I thought, really took a jump this year but to me this is like to me this is the last year i mean if he can stay healthy this year then that gives you a lot of confidence if it if he has another year where he's playing you know 45 games 50 games then you have to think about like who is your point guard of the future and he's 26 years old right now yeah but i mean that's that's still like very much in your prime i mean that's not young in today's nba and he again no meniscus no meniscus you know that that's really a serious problem and I actually thought it was interesting that they didn't think about taking Chris Dunn, you know, really, yeah. just to kind of have the guy of the future. I think it was probably the right move, um, but I thought that was sort of an interesting decision. Now, there are you other... Know, I think if, uh, it was weird. You're right, because uh, the, what came out right before the draft is Dunn was actually not somebody they were going to target, uh, even if Bender had been off the board. It just worked out well, so we didn't even have to know if they were uh, throwing misdirection and they might have taken Dunn anyway. That is quite possible. There's a lot of times you don't know what this front office is going to do before it does it. I thought Dunn would have been a very nice um, add-on to this team. But uh, they were focused on Bender, and they ended up getting him, so we don't know what was going to happen otherwise. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I think they kind of. It looked like they at least had two guys they really, really wanted because they, they obviously moved up and picked uh, uh, and, and and picked Chris. Um, let's let's talk real quick about. Um, a couple more guys who I don't think we've mentioned before we go into our our retrospective, if you will, on on Amari. Um, let's see. Steve uh, Paul Lewis one asks, uh, "Will Alex Len be the starting center over Tyson Chandler? How do you see that uh, that depth chart uh, falling to uh, for the Suns right now?" Yeah, that's really interesting. I really hope for Tyson Chandler's sake, actually, that they can find a good home for him uh, outside of the Phoenix Suns. I think he's nice to have on the team i think he tries hard but he went into a a regressive shell last year until he got his minutes back after the all-star break because the suns had so many injuries they started alex len at power forward Mm -hmm. um, and gave tyson all of his minutes back he deserves you know just to be on a team that like kind of like a zaza or uh like an andrew bogut on a team that's going to give him all the minutes he needs to fight for an eighth seed or or higher 
Um, I, I really hope that is what, and, and frankly, if Miles Plumley can get $11 million a year, it's not too much to pay Tyson 13. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Tyson might, I don't know. I don't see much left, honestly, for him. I thought even though he, I mean, certainly he was mo- not especially motivated last year or sort of in a shell. It was not what he signed up for, but he also is getting up there in minutes. And I, I saw some serious signs that his game has slipped. Uh, with Len, though, I mean, just by the numbers, it looked like he took a bit of a step back this last year. I think sometimes big men, it, it takes a little bit of time. But it, I wouldn't say that he's sort of had that moment where it all has kind of come together for him. And No, he hasn't. And I, I'm, I would be a little worried if I were the Suns here. You should be worried. He's, in year, he's after year three, and uh, really the only thing he's progressed on is health, and, which is a big thing. I mean, he's over mm-hmm. those ankle issues, so that's, that's a nice thing to see. Uh, he was able to play almost the entire year this year, and I think the only time he missed was very, very minor. Um, his problem now is all in his head. So Alex Lynn has all the skills you might want. He, he, he can shoot a mid-range shot. He can actually make a three, just doesn't like shooting them. Um, and he can, he can play power in the middle, and he can rebound like crazy, and he can block shots. But the problem is this year he got put into weird uh, situations and uh, certainly was asked to be a full-time power forward after the All-Star break because the Suns had zero other bodies. That was and a totally was a ridiculous line. Disaster. It was a disaster. But really, when you when you look at Earl Watson, Earl Watson had no other choices, and uh, he needed to play a 22-year-old. He had to play a 22-year-old, and he had to play Tyson Chandler because otherwise Chandler was in a shell. Um, so he just put him side-by-side and said, what the hell, let's play. Mm. Um, uh, Len was awful in that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess they had Talanovich and Lure, but you know, yeah, that's not real forward. And really, if you're if you uh, have, I mean, they went through a period. I think they lost twenty eight or thirty two games, something weird, like crazy, like that. You don't play Mirza Talanovich most of your minutes in that case. You play that's your twenty two year. You got to play the twenty two year old, and you got to play the guy who signed on to be on on a playoff team. At least give him his minutes, which is. Tyson Chandler. So they did the right thing. Yeah, I, I, that's true with Chandler. I mean, they had to play him. I wonder if maybe playing Len more with a stretch big would have actually helped this development. But moving on from Len, the question this is from Dragon Kendichi. Um, do you think TJ Warren is the answer at the three? Uh, is his the combined defense of maybe Warren and Booker too bad that it outweighs the offensive punch long term, and maybe would Dragon Bender potentially late down the road solve this problem? Yeah, I saw that question. I thought that was a really good one. I do worry that um, that Booker and Warren, uh, while offensively they can mesh, defensively they're not going to be that great. It all depends on what you have around them. If you've got Eric Bledsoe and a really good defensive, uh, a couple other front guys. Yeah, front line guys. Yeah, maybe you can plan together, but it's not ideal. I really see uh, those two guys sharing the court maybe 10, 15 minutes a game, but the rest of it uh, being split off into different units uh, because, yeah, side by side, they're not a great defensive team. And now Bender, again, like uh, like I had mentioned about Chris, who was able to slide his feet laterally in summer league, Bender, I was extremely impressed with his ability to slide laterally. He's seven foot one. Mm-hmm. And maybe seven foot two at this point. He hasn't been measured in a year or two. Uh, and yet he was able to slide real well laterally and stay with his guys. And yeah, every once in a while he got beat off the dribble, but so did everybody. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's summer league. Nobody has they, any game plan. One of my favorite things is uh, 
is like kind of, and I do this all the time. I only say it's one of my favorite things because I, I do it so frequently. It's just kind of like slightly over exaggerating on my, uh, the heights and wingspans <laughs> of guys when I'm in conversations just to make myself feel better. It's like, exactly. Embiid's like seven foot eight now. Like, yeah. <laughs> Every year that goes by, they grow an inch. Right? <laughs> ben is actually nine foot two with a 10 foot eight wingspan. Yeah. <laughs> it's like my favorite thing because like, especially with all the influx of foreign players now, we're like, they're not going to like little different Nike AU camps and getting measured at like 16 and 17 and like they don't have their measurables on draft express until like they go to an NBA thing and and, and then you get these guys like Bender who measures crazily I mean he's you're right you're not even really exaggerating that's the thing he actually is like a Gumby-esque uh, you know young guy you, you can exactly. see him he kind of looks like one of those blow up things at a car <laughs> dealer right Just exactly his arms on. he's so long but uh, yes. but he can actually move Wacky yeah, inflatable arm yeah, trailing that, that, man. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, here, let's, let's, Wait, uh, let's now, put a... I, now I'm imagining his face and the family guy's face. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Wacky, wavy, yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly how I hear it too, man. You might have to work um, in the delivery there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, isn't it wacky, waving, inflatable arm or, tube man? Arm flailing tube man. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> wow. All right. That just shows the generation we are. It's like, yeah, it's just like that family guy thing. Not like that thing that's been selling cars for like 70 years exactly i was thinking about the thing selling cars for 70 yeah. years thank you very much yes i was do it first but i think our, our heads all went to the same place but uh all right, we'll put a bow on the uh, on the off season here we'll need three things dave uh tell me who's going to be the leading scorer on the team this year uh devin then booker. devin booker for sure and what do you how many points a game do you think he's going to be at uh, 21. Wow. 21. I'll throw a 21 out there. Nice. Wow. 21 points a game for a 20-year-old. Well, he averaged 23 points a game last spring and 19 points a game after January 1st. Actually, 19.75 wow. or something. That was a pretty educated guess there. That was an amazing pick they made. I, yes. I, have, I have a yeah. lot of respect for their talent evaluators. I think they do a great job. I think some of the other stuff that we'll talk about maybe later yeah. worries me about the Suns. But just in terms of finding talent, they do a great job. Yep, yep. And then uh, let's see. Give us uh, who you think the projected starting five will be. Uh, projected starting five, I think uh, Bledsoe, Booker, Tucker, Len and uh, Jared Dudley, of course, to start the year. And then after, because Dudley really is going to play stretch four. I think he did that a lot for Washington last year, and he's going to do it again for the Suns. Yeah, that's basically all he did. Yeah, right. He has a four, basically, at this point. Yeah, he came into the league as a four. So, I mean, life comes full circle for him, and I think he's pretty happy. Um, uh, that's the that's the starting five. Yeah. He lo- he looks thrilled to be back. I mean, he's he's selling jerseys. He's giving those away. He's I mean, it feels like he's at home and he's kind of been bouncing around. I always thought he was a really great presence, and it's great to see him back in Phoenix. Oh, and then uh, last last but not least, uh, yeah, it will it will be good to see him. It's nice when guys go back to the teams that kind of feels like they're meant to be on, and the jersey just looks right. I, that's a good example speaking of <laughs> yes yes uh, we'll, and we'll do that wait wait wait. that would have been the perfect transition but we did one more thing wait, you're just rejecting the transition no okay. it would have been great what do you think the uh, best case scenario record and worst case scenario record is for the suns and then we'll use that lovely transition again <laughs> okay um so here's where i'm gonna really do gosh dang it um i would say worst case is probably Ah, 2025 wins again. I mean, they really should be playing those kids and seeing if those kids are worth, uh, you know, uh, having as a core going forward. Uh, Best case, 
it is quite possible. You see these team, these guys just play better than they should, and they get into the 30, 35, 40 range, and uh, they're talking playoffs most of the year, and then they end up with a stupid late lottery pick again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think they will be bad but fun. Yeah, I, I agree. I, that's bad. the best case. Best case, bad but fun. That is yeah. the best I'm thinking scenario. like 25 wins again. Yeah, but, but exciting and, and young, and you can see, like, when you're watching for growth, that's, like, one of the most fun things to watch for in basketball because it's not predicated on results. So you can have fun no matter what. And I think yeah. the Suns are going to be a good example of that. Um, but as we were talking about certain players looking good in certain uniforms because it just feels right, um, a certain somebody, uh, Amari Stoudemire, just retired and did, did not retire and will not be retiring as uh, a Phoenix Sun. And we wanted to get your thoughts on that as – as uh, I, as I think, and I think Mike would agree, he's he's one of the best sons uh, in the history of the franchise. So if you could talk us through your emotions on what's going on with Amari and how that makes you feel in the Suns community, Dave, that would be fantastic. All right. So I never got the pleasure of actually covering him in a locker room. I started doing that kind of thing a year or two after he left. Um, so, but I, I do know a lot of people who did cover him, and I watched a heck of a lot of interviews on you know on TV and this stuff. That is typical Amari. I mean, this is the guy who bathes in wine. This is the guy who goes over to Israel and, and you know and, and wants to um, look at you know his roots in there. This is the guy who came up with about five different nicknames for himself over the course of his career. Um, and yeah, when he, the thing is that he. He's going to paint himself in a good light, but he's also a really good guy. And uh, it's a, on one hand, it's a, it's an extreme shame that the Suns were not present enough in them in thinking about Amari's career winding down, or Steve Nash's, or Sean Marion's, to get any of those guys to sign, um, you know, a one-year non-guaranteed where they mutually agreed to release him the next day if he didn't immediately retire. Mm-hmm. Just, I, I think it would have been perfect. The way it's, it appears to have worked out with the Knicks, where he did that and, and retired as a Nick, he can still change his mind and retire as a son. You don't go into the Hall of Fame with a, with a cap on. You know, it's not like the NFL, I don't think. Um, you just, the, uh, the Naismith Hall of Fame is, is career wide. I mean, Mono It's basketball. Yeah. It's just basketball. Yep. Right? So um, I don't know. I think, I think it was ceremonial kind of flipping of his, you know, flipping the nose at, at the Suns for not wanting to give him. A final playing year, but he wanted a playing year. We, uh, I've done some checking, and it was really clear that he never talked to the Suns about a signed and retired deal. Mm-hmm. He talked to the Suns about playing, and he saw them sign Dudley, he saw them sign Barbosa, uh, and he thought, you know, why not me? But the Suns just drafted two guys in the top eight who played basically his position, and they can't afford to to sign him too. Well, so here's the quote that Stoudemire gave that is sort of what we're referencing. He told. Uh, told the Arizona Republic, uh, quote, the last two years we made phone calls to Phoenix, but I wasn't getting any positive response. That would have been the perfect way to go out. I didn't want to beg Phoenix. My heart was in two places, Phoenix and New York. I just went where I wanted. And so what he did, of course, is he signed a one-day contract and retired. He also said they brought back Jared and Leandro, my boys. That would have been a heck of a way to finish. I wasn't just going to keep knocking on someone's door. That wasn't going to answer. I put forth the effort to finish my career in Phoenix, but it wasn't well-received. And, you know, Amari, I would say, sort of, this happens, he sort of comes in with these kind of 
goals and you know i remember him chafing a little bit about how much he was playing in miami and i understand that the the reason i think it's interesting is that this is not the first former son to sort of leave on not good terms you know you talk about i mean obviously the markeith moore situation was sort of its own issue but then there's goran dragic uh, there have been many players in the last few years. Like you said, they sort of haven't really reached out to bring some of those great players back from the mid-aughts. You know, and the the concern is that while the, the organization is very good, perhaps with sort of spotting young players and sort of building good teams on paper, one of the reasons perhaps that they have not experienced very much success over the last few years is that they are not very good with the people management side of it and i mean what do you think about that they're really terrible at it uh like you like you said they're they're totally into the talent evaluation they're really good salespeople. um talking mm-hmm. players into wanting to come there i mean it's i'm still floored that lamarcus aldridge had the sun's number one for a day or two until Craig <laughs> popovich flew in and convinced him and i'm actually kind of happy but um, but that's that's a whole different conversation that, that he went to the Spurs um, because it kind of knocked the Spurs off the top of the mountain. But that's okay. Different <laughs> conversation. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but the Suns are good at selling people on coming to the team. They're awful at managing them while they're on the team and afterwards on a human level. Um, there's too much disconnect. Uh, this is where Earl Watson is really like a breath of fresh air. Maybe he can make those connections. But um, he's not Robert. He's not the owner. And he's not the GM. And so when a former player is trying to, you know, uh, uh, think about coming back, if they want that player for a particular role, like Jared Dudley, they're all over that. If they don't want the player for the particular role the player is suggesting, they may. It sounds like they're being completely unresponsive, and mm-hmm. uh, that's really sad. I mean, uh, just the way even Steve Nash, Grant Hill, going all the way back to those guys. Uh, Channing Fry was really disappointed in in how the Suns handled his free agency even just two years ago, uh, and just went ahead and signed with Orlando because he was sick of the non responsiveness from the Suns. Who, who are the common threads? So th- those are different. Those are different eras of Suns basketball. Though who who are the well, commonalities amongst ownership or, or whatever it may well, be? It's ownership, right? <laughs> just ownership. Robert That's Sarver. it, right? And um, well, and Robert Sarver, and then. While I, I got to know him personally, and I think he's a good guy, Lon Babby, um, I think there was some a little bit of a disconnect there. Uh, in, they even admitted it that they weren't trying to reach back to the past for a couple of years because they were trying to reach forward and hmm. start a new era, and that was just a bad decision. So I don't, it's just it's really frustrating as a Suns fan. Obviously, we all pine for these former players, and when we see the front office not pining for them, then it's it's tough to swallow. Yeah, so I think this is a there are two levels to this. One is, like you said, that is, you know, maintaining a fan base, it is important to kind of nod to the past to the reason that many of folks are fans. And there is sort of a you now while that is important, that also doesn't necessarily uh reflect in the win loss record directly. The thing I worry about as just an outsider is that this actually prevents them from constantly reaching their full potential, you know, and this is going yep. to affect you know, they've had good mixes. They had that 48-win team. And that team disintegrated because they added the wrong character, 
you know, chemistry. They couldn't keep it together. And these outside agendas and this not lack of people management sort of broke up what was a promising team. And now the Suns have a lot of promising young players. They have, you know, Devin Booker is is going looks like a future star. Uh, Bender and Chris have a lot of upside. They've got all these other players, you know, Len, Warren. Uh, we talked about they. If you just look at the asset cupboard, cupboard, they have a lot of good things going for them. The thing I always worry about is that because they seem to historically be so poor at managing personalities, yeah. that those mix they never fulfill their potential, and we're just spinning our wheels over and over and over again with this franchise. Heck, even back in the mid two thousands, uh, when they had uh, such a great team that they that they just happened upon basically, and, and all of a sudden Steve Nash was two time MVP. <laughs> Um, there were guys even then, like remember Joe Johnson was a was a really ugly uh, divorce, and then there was the the trade of Boris Diaw and and Raja Bell to Charlotte for Jared Dudley and Jason Richardson because the Suns made some stupid uh, front office decisions and and brought in Terry Porter and pissed off everybody and uh, yes they, it it all comes back to um, while he has great intentions I don't think he's got the best people skills which is Robert Sarver the managing partner. Yep. Yeah, and he's made some public snafus and, and, and kind of made the wrong comments so that the, the greater public kind of has that bad association as well. So it's kind of weird to put that when from the from the down-home sense of you are on the ground in, in Phoenix and at these games, and it's the same kind of tone, um, mm. which is being projected nationally, which isn't always the case. I mean, look, you know, that, that's neither here nor there. The New York media is a crazy place, but I think actually um, – Mike, uh, just quick aside, is this the most optimistic Knicks fans have been in forever? It feels weird here. I don't know. Anyhow. <laughs> I don't think so. I think there have been plenty of other times. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Since, since I mean, in our six, After five, six years. After that 54-win team a couple years ago, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. ironically, when Samari got there. Yeah, hey, right. That was a great. That was right. a great, that was a great uh, series of optimism. And he really yeah, was. One, one last thought on just Samari. I just... He was just so breathtaking in his prime. You know, yeah. there, there are some players that just fizzle out, and then, you know, that or there's some players that sustain excellence for a long period of time, and then there's some players that you just remember. There's something sort of picturesque about the. They evoke a certain emotion, and Amari was, I think, one of the latter ones. Just not only his style of play, but also his personality and his story. You know, I, I think, you know, one last thought we should throw out there. I mean, is Amari a Hall of Famer? Yeah, I think he is. You think so? Yeah, he yeah. had a short career. You know what, though? Um, as as okay, a uh, little takeoff of the Hall of Fame thing. Uh, first of all, should he be in the Suns' ring of honor even? And the Suns haven't even yet had a chance to put Sean Marion in there, who retired a year ago. Hmm. They put Steve Nash in immediately upon Nash's retirement, but they're still waiting on Marion, which is yet another personnel issue because uh, he was better than Amari ever was. Uh, but he wasn't quite as uh, electric as Amari, and so people tend to forget Marion was the jack of all trades. Remember, he was a twenty and ten guy, oh, yeah. as one and one of the best defenders in the in the league for uh, half a decade at least, if not if not longer. Um, but so, uh, is he a Hall of Famer? That's a that's a really good question. I think yeah. uh, uh, he probably is, but so is Sean Marion and Steve Nash and all them. Well, I hope they don't get like adversely looked at in like a Colorado Rockies hitting situation where it's like, well, the offense they played in the seven seconds or less, and they were just getting lots of more, you know, more opportunities in a league that hadn't evolved yet. And they were the first ones kind of, I hope it's not uh, a situation where the fact they all played together hurts them, you know, kind of the, the having Nash get a lot of the credit might 
take a little away from them. But there I think that they were potential. Yeah. You know, all part of the same awesome equation. I, I had him. As, I look at him a Hall of Famer because the impact he had on two franchises through, uh, you know, through through directly who. Bernard King comes to mind as a guy who had a shorter but awesome career in its in its prime, and he's he's a Hall of Famer, right? For sure. Um, I mean, maybe at a little higher level than Amari, but still, the idea is that like you can have a short but effective you know effective career and and be a Hall of Famer. I think, I think basketball Hall of Fame likes respecting basketball more than per se maybe the baseball Hall of Fame likes to keep the sanctity of the major leagues. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but. Um, so anyhow, hopefully he'll get his respect for being part of a team that kind of opened up the space and pace of basketball into a completely new era, uh, which is what they were. And hopefully that team gets the credit that's due down the road as well, um, because I think they definitely helped to, to innovate basketball, which is always hard to do. It's an old game now. Um, but uh, cool. So this was a lot of fun. I think we did a good job here of tackling most of the Suns' uh, off-season moves, and, and it's always great to have uh, Bright Side of the Sun represented on the Limited Upside podcast with Dave King here, the managing editor. Dave, thanks for, for joining us for the first time, and hopefully not the last, man. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate this invite. Uh, it's good to talk about the Suns on a, on a more national, holistic level, and, <laughs> and actually not just talking to Suns fans only, so this has been fun. Yeah, well, we do thank all the fans that sent in questions. Um, as a reminder to anyone listening to the show, you can always send in stuff for us to, that you want us to address. Uh, you can email me, MikePreda at SBNation.com. You can tweet me, MikePreda SBN. You can tweet our Twitter account, uh, Limited underscore Upside. Uh, please send in those questions. Next up, we're going to have the Timberwolves in our off-season series. We've already done the 76ers. We've already done the Lakers. We've already done the Nets. Now we have the Suns. Next up, we're going kind of worst record to best record from last year. We got the Timberwolves. That should be a very interesting discussion. We have, I'm excited for that. Yeah, great team that's on the rise and some interesting ta- thought. I know there are members of that community that you know we've been talking about the Chris Dunn, Ricky Rubio question. I look forward to addressing that one on the show. Um, so we're going to keep doing these. Uh, keep listening, subscribing to us, and uh, thanks for thanks for all your attention. All right, cool, man. So what we'll do here is continue with our with our podcast per team as we work our way back. And uh, everyone, keep looking, subscribing, all those good things. Uh, until next time, Limited Upside Podcast. <laughs>